I do see some values that I think are aspirational. They're not what the company is. And that doesn't work. You have to actually yeah. say, what are we? What is the best qualities of our best people? But again, like in the accountability own it one, you can find that, oh, we're slightly rewarding the wrong thing. Like even now we're reinforcing, hey, excellence without improvement is not excellence. Like it's box checking. So I think companies fall into that aspirational track. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I am your host, of course. And today, woof, you are in for a treat I got the pleasure of sitting down with Robert Glazer. He is the founder and chairman of the Board of Acceleration Partners, a global partner marketing agency, and the recipient of numerous industry and company culture awards, including Glassdoor's Employees' Choice Awards, two years in a row. Y'all, that's a big deal. You can't just pay your way into that. You have to earn your way into that, and it's a big deal. He's the author of an inspirational newsletter, Friday Forward, and the number one Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international best-selling author of five books, Elevate, Friday Forward, How to Thrive in the Virtual Workplace, Moving to Outcomes, and his fifth book, Performance Partnerships. He's a sought-after speaker by companies and organizations all around the world, and he's the host of the Elevate podcast. And we dig into all things team building, how to build the culture you want and get really intentional about it. And he is somebody to listen to because he's not just a thought leader in this. Like He's done it. He's built the company. He's built the culture that you should strive to create. Not that you want to recreate his, but you should follow the lessons that he shares in our conversation of how to build an intentional culture for your business and the impacts it's had when you do. So I am so excited that you get to listen in and I know you're going to learn something. Let's dig in. Robert, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to dig in with you today. Thanks for having me, Jackie. I got to tell you, your last name, you're the third Glazer I know that I actually have met and had conversations with. That's wild to me. I don't know. Is it a common name for you? I don't know if it is. I've probably been asked a thousand times if I'm related to a Glazer and it's like never actually been related. Yeah. There's a couple. It used to be Rob Glazer, who's Real Networks. Now it's Malcolm Glazer, who owns Manchester United. So my answer is always, if there's some wealthy Glazer out there and they have no heirs, then I'm related. So oh please God. introduce me. <laughs> That's hilarious. I say the same thing because my last name is Coke and the Coke brothers are from Minneapolis Bro, yeah. and I'm not related to them, which I always say, unfortunately or fortunately, spelling, I don't really know. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is the same spelling. I know with them, it doesn't sound like it looks. So you must get it pronounced wrong half the time. Oh, I yeah. have so many <laughs> stories, as you can imagine, with the last name spelled K-O-C-H. Yes. Okay. I'm so excited to dig in with you about core values and the importance of building them in a business. I talk a lot about it on the show. I think about it a lot personally in my own business as well. And I know it's a topic that you are an expert in and talk a lot about. So super excited to dig in. But before we do, can you just give listeners a quick little overview of your background and how you got into this entrepreneurship thing? 
Sure. I think I was born into it. It's a genetic problem that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have. And often I think they struggle until they figure out that's what they're supposed to do. And, and mm -hmm. that's similar to me. I've been part of starting five different companies. One of those and the largest is called Acceleration Partners, which I'm the chairman of today. It's a 300 person global marketing agency that focuses on affiliate and partner marketing. So I had a lot of experience building, growing, selling some different businesses. At AP, we had a very kind of unique culture and I became passionate about how we were building the business. And I started doing some writing as I was leading and growing that business and testing things and figure it out. And somehow along the way, I ended up writing six books. Two were about marketing awesome. and the rest were about leadership and culture and doing things differently. And we actually have been a fully remote company for 15 years. During COVID, I used to joke that before COVID, we would often hide that we were remote. And then everyone was asking me to come speak to their company and stuff on remote. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'll just write this all down. We've been figuring this out for 10 years. That's been interesting too, because being remote was a huge advantage for us, competitive advantage. And then after COVID, all the companies ostensibly just told everyone, you can work remote or you can do what you want to do or otherwise. And we kind of lost that advantage, even though it really was different. Everyone was saying it. And now I think a lot of companies are showing their true stripes again around taking that away from people and they really didn't believe in it. So it's, I think how we do that is coming back differently again. Yeah, we were a high growth company, 20, 25% growth for almost a decade, but without outside money at the time and really tried to grow by growing our people rather than growing to grow and changing all of the people. And so that necessitated figuring out how to have the people that we had on our team grow with us. That's amazing. I have so many questions about remote work, which I'm just going <laughs> to tell everyone away. to go get yeah. your book. I do have a comment. I think that you are spot on that it was an advantage. Then for a while, it felt like just table stakes to have employees. And now I think where you're probably going to continue to shine and be like a North Star is you figured out how to do it well. Because I actually think most businesses are going back into the office because they're just lazy. They don't want to figure out how to do remote work well. They Together. never wanted to do it in the first place. Yeah. Just didn't want to lose people, right? Exactly. Yeah. We weren't remote for the sake of being remote. It just started because the talent in our industry was super fractured. And we started hiring people in different places. We had a lot of parents with kids. And then we realized that this culture about flexibility and accountability, I think a lot of people want the flexibility without the yes. accountability. And I used to always say, our environment is not for everyone. We have won 30-something Best Places to Work Award. And we are not a great place to work for 98% of all people. Mm. We have a very specific value proposition and culture. I'd say it's similar to like universities. There's a big school value proposition. There's a rural liberal arts value proposition. People at one of the schools, even though they're both great schools, they probably would hate the other one. So our job has been to figure out those probably less than 2% of people that really fit into the cultural value proposition that we're offering, which is a lot tied to those core values. Yeah, for sure. That's a great segue into the conversation then. So when along the journey, did you realize that core values were the pillar or the foundation of creating a culture? Was there something that happened that you're like, oh, I should have been clear on core values? Or how did that even become a, a thought for you? Yeah. So to be totally honest, I thought core values were total BS like for years. Probably like and everybody listening to the show. <laughs> yeah. I would see these things when I walked into companies. We worked with a lot of startups and they'd be on the wall or on the glass and it wasn't mm -hmm. anything that anyone behaved. And I was actually at a conference. And what's funny, one of my business virtual mentors is Herb Kelleher of Southwest. And while I hate flying Southwest because I don't like the value proposition back to the schools, I just respect so much how they built their business and what they did. I knew a ton about their business and I knew that they use one type of plane and they use off 
hubs and they used two thirds of the planes of another company because they turned them so quickly and they hired people that were really funny instead of people that had flew planes before and stewardesses and pilots. And you can't make someone funny, <laughs> but you could train someone to be a flight attendant who's funny. And at the conference, this gentleman was talking about how he interviewed Herb Kelleher when he said to him, what was your differentiator that let you make money for 20 years, more money than the entire airline industry from 1980 to 2000? And his answer was culture. And I was like, huh. And so I started digging into that. Southwest had core values that were different. It was like, wow, our customers and other things that they actually did. And it was driving the behavior of employees at Southwest every day. And those values didn't sound like United Airlines, which is we fly ready, <laughs> we fly right and all this stuff. And when I started talking to other CEOs of really great enduring companies, I also found that they had values, but the values weren't, it wasn't about the wall. It was about the behaviors that were rewarded. People knew what they were. It was just very different. So we developed values around that. And then we augmented them a few years later as we were growing and found some kind of bugs in the system and went down from six to three. And we always say, this is what we fundamentally reward and value at our organization. And that's the basis of culture is what you reward and value. And it's either explicit or implicit. A lot of times people are saying one thing, right? At Enron, their values were integrity and teamwork and all kinds of stuff, which wasn't at all what they were rewarding. They were rewarding outsized risk and stabbing someone else in the back and otherwise. What I found was that really great enduring companies had values. They just weren't wall platitudes. They were actually behaviors. Mm -hmm. They tied to behaviors. So when you went about creating them for the first time, do you remember what you guys did? Yeah, we did a variation of the Mission to Mars exercise, which is where you think about what are the best qualities of your best employees. And if you had to pull those all together, what do you have in common? And again, we had six because I like to overdo it. And then I was really convinced by, I, I heard a woman speak who ran an incredible company years later at part of an event I went to around really the value of three. And we see this a lot, the value of three. People can remember it. Ritz Carlton brags about their values, but people have to pull an index card and mm -hmm. recite them. And if they have to do that, then they don't know them. So ours were own it, embrace relationships and excel and improve. And we just realized some of the values were just different ways of seeing the same thing. And when we got to those, then we had a value of accountability actually earlier. And this was fixing one of the bugs in the system. Some of the people that struggled wanted to be accountable for the inputs. They would say, look, I made the sales call, but no one bought from us. Or mm -hmm. I did all the things. They wanted to just be accountable to the inputs. And own it was like, no, you own it. You're responsible for kind of the whole thing. It went to a different level. None of us know where the sales are going to come from in the beginning of the year. We just say, we're going to go figure it out and here's my number and I'll go for it. So that was an important change. And it became really clear quickly when people were going to work out or not work out. And I think own it's probably the dominant value. If you don't own it, it's hard to embrace relationships. It's hard to excel and improve. But we've even had bugs where we realized people are focusing way too much on excel and not improve. And we got a little over-processed with things at some point. And one of the goals of that value was that it can't be excellent if you're not constantly tinkering with it and improving it, or else you'll have a really good horse and buggy repair shop that no one brings their horse and buggy to get repaired to because they're driving a car. Yeah. When you rolled it out, did anyone on your team or you notice a way that your team wasn't behaving and create a value around it to try to change behavior at all? Because I feel like that's what I see a lot of companies do is we are... 
I don't know, hustlers, but they feel like their team isn't hustling. So they're like, if we just declare that we are, that's what they'll become. Did you guys fall into that trap at all? We might have at some point, but I I think the problem is those values are aspirational, not what you actually are. And also every value has a potential pitfall with it. I've seen a lot of companies, whatever it takes. I'm like, do you really want to support that? Because the salesperson on your team that took everyone to the strip club to win the deal did whatever it takes. You need to be able to stand up for that. So I do see some values that I think are aspirational. They're not what the company is. And that doesn't work. You have to actually say, what are we? What is the best qualities of our best people? But again, like in the accountability own it one, you can find that, oh, we're slightly rewarding the wrong thing. Like even now we're reinforcing, hey, excellence without improvement is not excellence. Like it's box checking. So I think companies fall into that aspirational track. So the other thing I realized along the way was that people have personal core values. And I think those are the foundation of their leadership. And you're trying to find that match. And it's interesting when we do work with our up and coming leaders on their personal core values. And almost everyone at AP has some sort of value that sounds like improve or excel or get better. That's just part of the DNA. This is the game you're trying to play, but they're all different. And I think they lead in different ways. And those values come from very personal experiences. And people need to understand that about why I have a value of just doing things better and finding a better way to do things. And that has a lot of pros, but that has a lot of cons. But that's how I'm going to lead. And if you're on my team, that has to work for you. If you're someone who likes predictability and calm and the same thing, it's not going to work very well to be on my team. Mm -hmm. Okay. So next question would be, when you were creating the core values, if you're a listener to the show and you're maybe a solopreneur or you have two people on your team, would you recommend their, your company's core values be your leadership core values? Or how would you recommend they go about differentiating those two? So that's an excellent question. I wish more people asked me that question. Gold star. <laughs> it is very natural that an entrepreneurial-led company is going to have company values that emanate from the founder, right? But you can't have carbon copies. So you're going to attract those people that inherently have the values, even if you don't know what yours are and they don't know what theirs are. And we see this in the interview process. Whatever test it is, even if they don't take it till afterwards, people just are attracted to the same. (laughs) They hire someone who has the same why or something like that, which is why actually there's all kinds of inherent biases in hiring that go beyond I think the traditional DEI metric, yeah. you just the same style, the same work thing. If you do some of these quote unquote personality tests, you'll find clusters of people unchecked yeah. will hire people like them. We don't use those things as interview tools, but you just find out afterwards that they did it naturally. Totally. But I think somewhere around 10 people is the right number where you can start to look around. And again, you can Google this Jim Collins exercise, Mission to Mars, look around and say like, what is it about Jackie and James and Sarah? What is it about them? And you start to list these qualities and say, if I had to go higher and I wanted to hire clones of my best people, what are the words I would use? What are the concepts I would use? What do I value around them? So I think there's something around that 10. If you have two people, then yeah, it's probably not going to be that different from the founder. And what you want is compatibility, not cloning, right? That's how you get a lack of diversity organization. This I fully believe. The core is you have to have, I don't care how diverse people are, if you don't share, whether it's a company, a religious group, or otherwise, if you don't share a few core tenants, it's not going to work. So you want people to be a diverse range of spectrums, but you have to agree to those things. My example is always, if I have a church Bible group and my friend Bill is an atheist and lives on my street, I can be friends with Bill. I can be great friends with Bill. 
I don't want Bill at my Bible study group on Sunday morning arguing with everything that we're totally. talking about. In that context, it's not the right match of values for that group. Right. It's just as important to attract the right people as it is to repel yeah. the wrong yeah. people. And when you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. So then you just have a bunch of things, right? I use that line all the time. And I say, look, I think the most disingenuous thing, the leaders and companies, they're trying to be something to everyone. And when you're trying to be something to everyone, you're nothing to no one. And even on our five-star Glassdoor reviews, you can see people trying to scare off. Even when we remote work, they're like, this is a remote work company and there's a lot of flexibility, but it's also a company growing 20% a year, trying to be number one in their industry. And like the expectations are high and the workload's high and it's an agency. So don't think that working from home is just this cushy job without any accountability. Like you could see those people trying to scare away those kind of wrong people. Well, because if they love working at your company, they want other people who are going to be bought in to what it takes to be successful, right? So they'll inevitably be your champion. 100%. And again, I think in the interview process, it's kind of like dating. You don't want to like you know, pitch yourself to be something you're not. And I think too often the candidate, like when we say, look, our core values own it, you might like that core value. But if you aren't that core value, then you're not going to last here very long. At the extreme, this is an agency fast pace. We want people who act and make decisions. This is not an environment where you ask everyone their opinion on everything and you go with the consensus. And if that's what you like to do, there's a different organization that's a fit for you. That's going to frustrate you. And that's going to frustrate people here because they're looking for you to love that you can make the decision and run with it and be accountable. Some people don't want to do that. If you work at a nuclear power plant, it's a really good idea to check with everyone on everything, check four times, mm -hmm. make sure it's okay. In a digital marketing agency, that's not how the vibe works. It's the same with most startups. Everybody says, oh, I want them to have startup culture. And I'm like, okay, what does that actually mean? Like, why don't we just define what that actually means for you? And it's just so easy to hide behind the word culture and all of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And again, culture is what are the behaviors you're going to reward and what are the behaviors you're not going to reward? Mm -hmm. Again, we don't reward this kind of consensus and checking with everyone. In certain environments, that's really important. That's not a high growth digital agency. And it's not what yeah. our clients are looking for either. Like they need people to say, I think this program is going to work. Let's do it. Let's take a shot at it. Let's spend a reasonable amount of money. And if it doesn't work, we'll learn from it and move on. That makes some people really uncomfortable. Again, I'd like the, having just gone through the college process again with another kid, I just like mm -hmm. that metaphor, right? The, mm -hmm. the 50,000 state person school, they're not pretending to be a small liberal arts school out, out in the rural. And if they did, that person's going to be really unhappy. They're trying to make their value proposition clear. So the best thing you could do is for someone to be turned off in the interview process because they realize what makes your company great is not what aligns to their interests at all. Right. And they can still leave that interview process having a great experience and raving about you. That's why the candidate morphs a lot. I've always said when someone leaves and it doesn't work out, I would rather they say, you know what, you guys, this is a great company. This is just not the fit for me. Like you're a, I know sports analogies, people don't like them, but you're a running team and I'm a passer and I heard you say it, but I thought we were going to pass. And this is just running team. I thought I could train to be a runner. And I yeah, just <laughs> and rather than saying, you sold me a bag of goods. We just don't tell anyone. Again, same thing, company, my team. If you like steady state, doing the same thing, all this stuff, predictability, you will hate working for me. That's about as honest as I can mm -hmm. be. Yeah, for sure. So I think if you're listening to the show, they're probably like, okay, I get why I need to make core values. I have an idea of what mine should be. I think companies often spend a ton of time creating core values and then they just don't show up 
anywhere in the work. When do you talk about core values? When does your team talk about them? How do they live? Like, how are they living things in your company? Really good question. Like, again, we don't have a wall, but if they're only on the wall, it doesn't mean bleep, as we know. So all of our behavioral-based interview questions are around our core values. We have three or four questions around each value. So half of our interview is testing for that and finding, make sure people have that. So Excel and Improve, we might ask a question, Jackie, like when's the last time you took a course, read a book, tried to get better at something, and if you're crickets on that, and it might be the life stage you're in or whatever, but you're not the right person for us. Our people will be like, oh, well, I took this crochet course and then I did this and I'm reading this book and someone will describe their grass and how they figured out how to make it greener. It's just they're a learner and they want to do that stuff better. So we have a whole bunch of questions on that. Mm -hmm. When you come in, you'll sit down for core value training with me. I'll tell you some of the best examples ever in the company. You'll hear them call out on our weekly calls and in meetings. There's the annual core value awards. They come up in your check-ins. Like this just wasn't really owning it on here. So you can't escape hearing about them because we try not to have a lot of rules. The whole thing is that combination of values can serve as guiding parameters more than a bunch of rules. Yeah. Having those to reflect on is so much better than a bunch of rules in an employee handbook about how to show up to work reads it, they don't remember it. Again, I think they can look at that and say, is this owning it? Back to my earlier example about be careful about whatever it takes. If that's a value, you need to support that. And look, maybe there's another value like do whatever it takes, never be ashamed of whatever you did or something that counterbalances that. But I could think of some really bad things Mm -hmm. that employees could do to serve customers under the whatever it takes. Yeah. So in hiring, I'm curious, do you have an example of a time when you hired somebody who didn't maybe have all of the ideal skills you were looking for, but had the core values and really did it awesome and excelled at your company? Yeah. So this is very relevant. Another good question. Another gold star. You've got three now. (laughs) Oh my Um, gosh, I'm going to get hired soon. (laughs) Okay. Which is why you're probably a good interviewer. Look, if you hire the right values and the wrong skills, let me do it the other way. If you hire the wrong values, you're dead in the water. They might be good at their job, but they'll be the brilliant jerk and you'll have all kinds of problems and it's just Mm -hmm. not fixable. It depends on what size company you are. If you hire people Mm -hmm. who don't have the skills and have the right values, you might have another job or you might say, I would love to have Jackie, like we hired her for a sales role. She is not a salesperson. She is a marketing person, but we don't have a marketing role, right? So that's where the bigger the company, the more that's recoverable. And we certainly have had people start in roles where it wasn't the right role and they flipped. But there's times when we're growing like crazy and hiring 30 people. And then there's times in the last year, if you're in a marketing agency where you're just not hiring very much. So our interviews are really half and half. It is half around the values and then it's half around the aptitude. And we usually give some assignment or something or otherwise that is exactly what you would be doing on the job. And we try to make it so it has no real value to us. Again, we're not looking for real work. If we give a client service person a monthly report to read and analyze and look for mistakes, and they come back and they're like, I'm not good at this, or I'm not good at that, or it was hard or otherwise, you're like, but this is the job, right? When I hired an EA, I would give them something to plan that would look like the same chaos that my normal schedule looked. So it's really broken down into that half and half. And even for a remote company, we always meet with senior executive candidates in person for a day. We do go from like a meeting, an interview, a presentation to a dinner, even that social connection. I remember once someone was texting like the entire dinner when we went to them after it. For a remote company, I believe deeply in the importance of interviewing in person. There's a lot of stuff that comes out in person. I totally agree. 
And I caught myself, I was going, ooh, because I can feel like you're in a final interview and you're just like, man, I can't hire you. And now I have to start over. (laughs) It's really good to have two to three candidates so that you have comparison, I think. And if you don't synchronize those, then it's even harder to compare. I think you're like, oh, liked Sam. And then you interview Sarah and you're like, oh, love Sarah. Well, the recency bias shows up. We try to time it so that there's two to three candidates at that final round. And it totally depends on this labor market. A year ago, that was like almost impossible. Exactly. Right now, it's a little bit easier. Wow. Okay. We've covered all of my questions. Do I get any extra ones? Anything that you feel like we've missed around core values, but I feel like we covered them all. The, The one distinction, again, is personal core values. It's a very different process. And I built a course oh, yes. around it. I would love to know about that. Yeah. Company core values represent the collective. Personal core values run very deep, often to childhood formative events. I have seen people, because we do this work with our managers, we help them figure out their personal core values because that's how they show up. Like someone who had a grew up in a household with violations of trust and which trust is really important to them. As a leader, they haven't been able to communicate it, but it's how they lead. And the mm-hmm. people that have a trust value are often, if you're on their team and you show up five minutes late, you miss a deadline and you can't be found at four in the afternoon, like you're dead to them. You're in a penalty box. The key is locked away and you don't know it. And they let people into the circle otherwise. So when people figure out, and we work through the process on their why and their personal core values, they go back to their teams and they say, this is me. This mm-hmm. is how I lead. Trust is really important to me. So if you ever blindside me, like it's a really hard thing to recover from. Like you come five minutes late to a meeting with me and you came up with a better solution, like I'm all good. I look at it differently. That work is really different. That is about the individual and looking into the image, but it explains so much of how they show up in the workplace and how they choose to lead. And you might have leadership standards or guidelines, but everyone leads differently. Recently, we had two high-level leaders going through this leadership training with this core value process. The roots of their struggles day to day are like deep childhood driven values that are opposite in this one area. Wow. One felt like they were shut down as a kid a lot and they really liked to challenge and new ideas. And the other came from a lot of chaos and likes stability and doesn't like to be blindsided at left. And, and you could actually even figure out that what they were struggling with, what they both lead according to these values. And these values had a little bit of a conflict. When people are willing to go there and talk about some of these things, and it's like, you find out the trust and you're like, why the trust? Or you find out like being heard is really important to that person. You're like, why being heard? And there's usually a story behind that. And Mm -hmm. that stuff's deep and they're not going to drop it and they're not going to not lead with it. But if they don't know it and they don't know how to put words to it and they don't know how to explain it, then it's not a strength as a leader. It's a blind spot. And it really can be a strength as a leader if people own it and say, yeah, this is what I'm about. And this is how I help people and just lead with that. They're going to be there anyways. So you might as well name them because you can at least deal with it. And every, every leader is different. But that's where your company core values create the uniformity for your team to work with all different leaders. Correct. And then the personal values almost just become like my operating procedures. Like if you're going to work with me, this is what I expect. And then you can also drive it all the way down, I would imagine, to independent contributors who aren't leading other people. They also have them. So um, yeah. So what what are the projects you want to call on them for? What are the things that they're going to be 
excited to do. If you've done enough of these things, if you do your core values, why disc Myers, you start to see these patterns that really intersect and, and strength finders around like, I need X. Am I calling Jackie for this? Or am I calling Steve for this? And it should right. be very obvious because Jackie doesn't like to do that. Jack is the idea person and Steve loves to execute other ideas. He doesn't want the pressure of ideas. And I know this because I know a lot about Steve. So the more vulnerability, the more sharing, the more discussing these things. And we're complicated as humans. Like another one, someone had a real parent that was not self-aware. So anyone on their team talked too much or showed a lack of self-awareness, like it was a problem for them, but they didn't realize it. I think it just unlocks if you think about Jim Collins is kind of from individual contributor to level five leader, it's that self-awareness that gets you toward moving towards that kind of level mm -hmm. five leader. You come across to me as a leader who expects a lot from your team, holds them accountable and gets shit done. Yeah. And you also care about these things. I think too often people are like, oh, core values are fluffy. Yeah, it's not fluffy. It's... I, I agree. People think it's fluffy. And it's like you're running a Mac operating system. I'm running a Windows. Someone else is running a DOS. And they just don't work with each other if we don't understand the interoperability of the languages. And it just makes it objective. It makes it about a thing, not a personality trait. And it makes it easier right. to get stuff done. But people know the worst thing you could ever say to me, my why is better, is we can't do that any better or we can't improve that. Those are fighting words to me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Where can listener get a copy of this course or join your course? Is it available all the time? Is it in Yeah, I, so I have a, a an on-demand version. It's about an hour of work. The course is an hour. It's not an hour of work because it gives you some homework to do and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a guided and a self one. So all of that is at robertglazer.com. My books are there. The core values course is there. Almost 2000 people have taken it now. And I think people have had some real breakthroughs with it. That's awesome. We're going to put them in the show notes and refer everyone to go do that because it sounds like such a great course to go through for yourself personally. And then I'm sure very similar things can apply to creating your company's core values, I would imagine. Totally. Awesome. Okay. I'm so grateful you came on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. And Thanks for having me. Listeners, make sure you go check out the course. And can they follow you on LinkedIn? Where's the best? Where do you put all your content? I have a weekly newsletter that actually called Friday okay. Forward. It goes to almost 100,000 people. It's five minutes to read every Friday. LinkedIn. All the stuff is at robertglazer.com. Amazing. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk soon. And before we wrap up today's episode, I wanted to share something with you. If you're a small business owner looking to build your dream team hassle-free, keep listening. Or maybe you have fellow entrepreneur friends who keep struggling with making the right hires on their team. I just wanted to take a second to remind you that my team over at People Principles offers high level, what I would say the best headhunting recruiting services in the market. We take the guesswork out of finding the perfect candidates for your team. We help you set up your hiring process, creating interview guides and an interview flow for you. And then we go out and find the best people to fill your open jobs so that you can focus on growing your business. We understand that as a small business, every hire matters. And that's why we're here to help you make the right choices. Check out our recruiting services over at peopleprinciples.co forward slash recruiting. Let's take your team to the next level. 